I want you people to know I'm ashamed of so many of you this morning. Shame, shame on you. <laughs> the number of people I see, number of Americans I see who are just going gaga over pictures of a seven-year-old future king of England. Uh, didn't we not fight a war so we don't have to care about these people? <laughs> they were cute pictures, but come on, people. It's like a trending thing on Twitter right now. Please. We're Americans. We're not British. Now, uh, a couple of things. Uh, one housekeeping note before we get out of here, uh, before we actually begin. Uh, and well, first of all, it is Eric Erickson here. That's who you're listening to. Uh, and the phone number, if you want to call in, is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Operation Sh- Southern, if I can talk this morning, Operation Southern Shield is beginning. I'm awaiting someone to scream that it's racist, that it sounds racist. Operation Southern Shield uh, is running between now and July 26th. What is that? Well, the state police are going to pull you over for the slightest infraction, as will sheriff's deputies and local city police around the state. It is a coordinated campaign around Georgia. If you're driving through Georgia, if you're a Yankee headed back up to New York City or North Carolina, or you're a Canadian, eh, headed back up to Quebec, eh, the Quebecois. Well, you're going to get pulled over for the slightest infraction. Why? Because the state police, the county sheriffs, and the city police are convinced that one week a year, if they crack down on everyone, the rest of the year will be just fine. So uh, they're going all out this week uh, with Southern Shield across the state of Georgia. No, it is not the effort to protect the Confederate monuments. Maybe they need to rethink the naming of this thing at this point. (laughs) But uh, you you are forewarned uh, if you see blue lights flashing uh, that they say, they say, they say that... Um, well, um, you are just going to get a warning. Allegedly, allegedly, we'll see. Now, uh, Tropical Storm Gonzalo has formed over the Atlantic Ocean, the earliest G in a record-setting hurricane season. There's a joke there. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on the spot where the punchline is, but there, there's a there, there, there's a there's a joke there. Um, we will move on, though. Now, let's move on to, to, to some more important topics here in Macon, Bibb County. You know, it, Macon, I, I'm actually there. I live in Macon in Bibb County. And uh, we have decided, well, we haven't, the the county commission has decided to mandate masks. Now, they say it's a $25 fine, and they're going to try to encourage people to do this without uh, actually fining people, but they want you to wear a mask in Bibb County. Essentially, the order says, if you're leaving your house, unless you're in your car eating, smoking, or drinking, or exercising outside, wear a mask. They, They want everyone to wear a mask at all times. Uh, it's not wholly enforceable by the governor's order. They're putting the burden on you to get it done. Uh, my, my, uh, gym owner trainer emailed me last night and said, well, what should he do? And I was like, it's, it's not on you 
Best my reading of the resolution from the county uh, commission, it's not on you. It's on the people who come to the gym. They're supposed to be the ones to wear a mask. You might want to encourage them or exercise outside in the heat. You know, these CrossFit places, though, they all, I mean, they're all exercising like 4 o'clock in the morning. Who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym anyway? As an aside, I think I would rather be a pasty white fat guy than get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. All right, maybe I am a pacey white fat guy already. I've been going to the gym. I've been working on but I'm not getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. I was actually looking at a place, and, and their, their gym times, they've got a class at like 4.30 to 5.30, 6 to 7, and then like 7.30 to 8.30, and, and then they're all gone. I, who goes to the gym that early in the morning? I have no idea. Uh, I, I don't want to ever be that healthy. Now, uh, this is not the only place in Georgia with a mask mandate. DeKalb County is imposing, obviously. Atlanta is, Savannah is. It is notable, it is very notable that the governor of the state of Georgia, under national fire uh, for trying to shut down a mask mandate, it made national news. The national headline was that the governor of the state of Georgia was suing Atlanta to stop Atlanta from asking you to wear masks. Notice we've got a dozen places in Georgia now that are mandating masks. The governor has not sued a single one of them except Atlanta. Makes you wonder why. Hmm? Maybe the media wasn't telling you the full story. By the way, Keisha Lance Bottom was asked about this, and she says it's racism. Racism. That's why the governor sued Atlanta. It's racism. At this point, it's really hard to take people serious who scream racism. And that's a problem because there is racism in the world. Um, but suing Atlanta for threatening businesses and telling them to shut back down and then claiming that it's racism uh, really isn't it. Uh, by the way, uh, you know someone else who wants you to wear a mask? America's youth will act responsibly. And we're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask. Uh, whether you like the mask or not, uh, they have an impact. They'll have an effect, and we need everything we can get. They'll have an impact. That he, he wasn't wasn't done with it. Okay, Mr. President, thank you very much. Yesterday, you said that wearing a mask was an act of patriotism. If that is the case, why don't you do it more frequently? Well, I do actually do it when I need. I mean, I carry the mask when I have to go. I went into Walter Reed Hospital the other day. I have the mask right here, and I carry it, and I will use it gladly. Uh, no problem with it. And I've said that. And I say, if you can use the mask, when you can use the mask, if you're close to each other, if you're in a group, I would put it on when I'm in a group. Uh, if I'm in an elevator and there are other people with me, including like security people, it's not their fault. They have to be in the elevator. I want to protect them also. I put on a mask. Uh, I will have I have no problem with the masks. I view it this way. Anything that potentially can help, and that certainly can potentially help, is a good thing. Wear a mask, the president. Now, you know and I know. Here's what's going to happen. A group of progressives are going to now not wear masks because the president has said everyone should wear a mask. There will be a lot of people who have been bellyaching for the last several months saying they were not going to wear a mask, who suddenly will now wear a mask because their God King told them to wear a mask. But there will be a whole lot of people who will now, who have been wearing masks for the last three months. Uh, the Karens who have condemned others in grocery stores for not wearing masks because their great Satan has now said to wear a mask. They will rip it off their face defiantly, say, bring on the COVID. 
Because the president of the United States said wear a mask. These good leftists, they won't do anything. The president, you know, if the president could handily win re-election if he came out tomorrow and told people to breathe. The number of leftists who would hold their breath and we would have mass graves across this country. Uh, the president wouldn't have to worry about those voters anymore. I, 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 I kid because I care. But you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if the president says jump, uh, there are people in this country who will spend the rest of their lives bouncing uh, from one place to the other because the president said jump and forgot to say you can stop now. But then there are other people who will never jump again, not a jump rope, not a trampoline, nothing. They will never do it defiantly because the president dared, dared jump. If the president went out today and said, oh, look, the sky is blue, you would have uh, numerous people in this country, particularly on college campuses and the women and gender studies departments, defiantly declare that the sky is actually green and the grass is blue because the president said the grass is green and the sky is blue. The man breaks people's brains. I don't understand the phenomenon. I've given up on trying to understand it, but I know it is so. And the president now wants people to wear masks and some of the most defiant whiners about having to wear masks who have they have COPD and they can't put anything over their face because they will drop dead of a heart attack. They're going out today to put on their masks because Donald Trump told them to. And it's the greatest thing ever. We should all wear masks. No one has to deal with your halitosis anymore. It's it's amazing how people can turn on a dime on both sides because of what this president says, as opposed to thinking for themselves. And that's the most troubling thing here. We see this with school openings as well. Uh, in the Northeast, things are actually doing fairly well right now because of the virus. In, in Northern Virginia, the virus is on the run. It's disappearing. People aren't dying. People are going to the hospital. Uh, they, they've been able to wind it down. But those are the schools most invaded by progressives who have decided they've got to shut down until Joe Biden becomes president. So, I, and I wish I was making that up. Uh, the, the Fairfax County, Virginia school system was going to completely uh, reopen. And after teacher protests, they decided they will wait and see what happens at the first of the year. Hmm, what do you think's going to happen at the first of the year if they're hopeful? Meanwhile, southern states where the virus is still running, uh, they're going to reopen schools. And people are all, free, the national media is all freaked out about them opening schools. Y'all, there is actually a ton of data out there right now that elementary school children aren't spreading the virus. Uh, yes, we have issues with, with middle and high school. High school in particular, the older you get, the worse the virus is. But there's plenty of data that you can reopen schools responsibly, and frankly, they need it. Here's a problem we're having, and I wasn't even going to, yeah, this is none of the show, but I'm, I'm going to do this here. We have a country that is not just increasingly divided, but in a country that is increasingly um, structured and is becoming more and more class-based. It is hard to have a meritocracy when kids at the bottom can't become kids at the top because they don't have access to good schooling. And our public school systems continue to fail. Our public school systems continue to be more about indoctrination than anything else, particularly in progressive areas of the country, not necessarily in a place like Georgia or Texas, but in places like California and New York. They're way more interested in teaching your your kindergartner how to have, um, well, a, a random deviant sexual intercourse than to actually learn their numbers and, and letters. It is actually horrific to learn the uh, transgenderism education that they're putting off in, in California elementary schools, in particular in kindergarten. And what they're teaching kids to do with bananas, it is absolutely bizarre. And this is happening in parts of the country. They have decided to uh, indoctrinate children instead of actually teach them. And that is upsetting. And that is why schools are failing. But let's take a place like Georgia where I am. 
we have uh, urban areas and we have rural areas. And in rural areas, the internet doesn't exist by and large. Now, there are places where the internet does exist, but there are still parts of Georgia that are on dial-up or they're having to use satellite uh, modems that are ridiculously slow and not good for video streams, not good for video conferencing, anything like that. The latency and delay makes it uh, too problematic. And those kids, if they're not back in school, are going to find uh, fall further behind. And those parents tend to not be rich parents. They can't afford tutors. They can't afford access to to online activities because they don't have them, let alone uh, the money to be able to get it. They don't have the internet either. They're going to fall further and further behind. And you are going to have a more class-structured society in this country. The meritocracy will die. Schools need to be open. Kids need to be educated. There are ways to do it. We can go about with the flu, and I realize there's a vaccine for the flu. I I realize fundamentally there is a flu vaccine, and that makes things different. But we still have viruses that spread. And we know that if you were a child, if you were a teenager, if you were a high schooler, the odds of you getting a terrible case of this are very, very, very small. And if you're a elementary school kid, the odds of you transmitting it to someone are very, very, very small. But when you're in high school, you have more self-control. You can wear masks. You can spread out. Your teachers can wear masks. You can schedule time where mandatory hand-washing time. You can do things like that. You can scrub the school. You can make the kids scrub their desk. You can make the kids learn cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. So I guess we can't teach it because that would be teaching religion or some such. There are ways to do it. There are ways that should do it. But schools have to reopen. Uh, The left in this country is railing on class divisions and the wealthy getting wealthier and, and the great income gap in this country and yet are backing policies that will make it even more difficult for people to climb the economic ladder because they won't have access to education. Schools need to open. And it's interesting that it is conservative states more willing to try to give it a go than a lot of these states that have been so busy indoctrinating schools. Well, I think what they're signaling is education doesn't really matter. It's all about indoctrination. And as long as your good leftist parents are indoctrinating kids at home, they don't need to go to school. If that's the case, cut our property taxes. If your school system is an opening, cut our property taxes. Because the property taxes overwhelmingly at this point, they're going to prop up school buildings that are going to be empty. And uh, a deputy assistant underling superintendents who have no business having a, a photocopier superintendency when the photocopiers aren't going to be used. So, so get rid of that person. Lay off the person. Why are we using our school systems to prop up the employment of academics when you can't even go to school anymore? Why are we using our property taxes to prop up buildings that won't be open? Close the buildings, cut the taxes, or open the buildings and keep the taxes. Uh, But don't close the buildings and make everybody keep paying for everything as if nothing has changed. Something fundamentally has changed if you're not going to let your kids go back to school. The kids need to go back to school. Even if they got to wear a mask and stop every 30 minutes to wash their hands and every few hours learn how to wipe down their desks and everything with Lysol wipes to keep the virus at bay. There are ways for us to go about this. And yet a whole lot of people particularly in teachers' unions, don't want to do it unless Joe Biden gets elected. 
which means the whole thing is political. It's not really about the virus. A, 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 a moment of solidarity, if I can, uh, with Georgia's Democratic Party uh, very quickly. The So John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, died over the weekend, and it is ridiculous. The Democratic Party had 48 hours, 48 hours to replace his name on the ballot. Now, part of this is the election I get, and part of this is absentee balloting. I understand. But uh, really, 48 hours? Now, now take, take party out of it. Whether it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, Constitutionalist Party, Federalist Party, I I don't care. Uh, forcing them to meet and and have a make a decision like that within forty eight hours of someone dying just seems bad to me. Um, it, there there would be time to get the name printed and put on ballots uh, beyond uh, the beyond the time uh, given that early voting isn't going to start for a while. It just, it, it's, it's, I, I think it was unseemly to force that to happen. This isn't a political thing. This isn't a partisan thing. It just, it shouldn't have happened. And I, I do encourage the secretary of state to look into this here in Georgia and try to figure it out. Uh, for those of you outside of Georgia, you know, Congressman John Lewis died and uh, under Georgia law, the parties, regardless of the party involved, the party has 48 hours from death to find a new candidate. So while they're still grieving the guy, they got to get in a room together and decide who's going to be on the ballot to replace him. And it's just the whole thing is unseemly. Uh, it's a quirk in Georgia law. Uh, and I hope that they will figure out a way to fix it because that's just uh, you, you shouldn't have to force people to do that 48 hours after somebody dies. Now this is this is uh, this is mind-boggling here. Um, the the there is a call. Uh, who is this? Anthony Tomasini. Anthony Tomasini in the New York Times. Uh, he is the chief classical music critic for the New York Times. He writes about orchestras, opera, and diverse styles of contemporary music. He reports regularly from major international festivals. And he wants to make the New York City Philharmonic better. During the tumultuous summer of 1969, two black musicians accused the New York Philharmonic of discrimination. Earl Madison, a cellist, and J. Arthur Davis, a bassist, said they had been rejected for positions because of their race. The city's Commission on Human Rights decided against the musicians, but found that aspects of the orchestra's hiring system, especially regarding substituting extra players, function as an old boys network and were discriminatory. The ruling helped prod American orchestras, finally, to try and deal with the biases that have kept them overwhelmingly white and male. The Philharmonic and many other ensembles began to hold auditions behind a screen so that factors like race and gender wouldn't influence strictly musical appraisals. Blind auditions, as they became known, known proved transformative. The percentage of women in orchestras, which hovered under 6% in 1970, grew. Today, women make up a third of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. They are half of the New York Philharmonic. Blind auditions changed the face of American orchestras. But not enough. Apparently, friends, you can still see skin color behind the screen because not enough minorities 
are getting on stage at the Philharmonic and they need to end blind auditions and raw talent auditions and focus on people's color. We are going full circle. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, hang on a second. Where is this? Uh, the Wilkinson County Schools here in Georgia. Uh, Wilkinson County, one of the, the, the poorest counties in the state. They've decided... Uh, that they are going to uh, begin with virtual schools. Uh, let me read you what they're saying. Uh, we will provide instruction via distance learning model for all students August 17th to September 4th. At that time, we will evaluate COVID conditions and the superintendent will adjust or amend the learning models as needed for the remainder of the semester. If you have any questions, uh, please contact the local school or the central office. Uh, due to substantial spread status, uh, they are doing this. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to do it online. Uh, hopefully, your kids will have access uh, to be able to do it online. Um, if they don't, well, God bless them. Uh, they're also, uh, high school football season is going to be delayed by a couple of weeks in Georgia as well. Um I want to spend a few moments more on this. The more I read this, the more absurd I think it is. So Anthony Tomasini is the music critic for the New York Times. In the late 1960s, two uh, black musicians accused the New York Philharmonic of discrimination, claiming that they were rejected because of their race. Uh, the Commission on Human Rights for the city investigated and determined they were not rejected because of their race, but that the city did need to do better. So what the New York Philharmonic started doing in the 1970s was put musicians behind a screen. You did not know the musician. You had no idea whether they were black or white or male or female or Asian or Hispanic or one of the other 3,000 genders, you had no idea. They put them behind a screen, and they played. And the musician who played the best got the job. Fascinating. Meritocracy. The number of women in the ranks skyrocketed, but didn't help minorities. Let me read you this. American orchestras remain among the nation's least racially diverse institutions especially in regard to black and Latino artists. In a 2014 study, only 1.8% of the players in top ensembles were black. Just 2.5% were Latino. At the time of the Philharmonic's 1969 discrimination case, it had one black player, the first it had ever hired, Sanford Allen, a violinist. Today, in a city that is a quarter black, just one out of 106 full-time players is black. Anthony McGill, the principal, principal clarinetist. The status quo is not working. If things are to change, ensembles must be able to take proactive steps to address the appalling racial imbalance that resides in their ranks. Blind auditions are no longer tenable. 
This well-intentioned but restrictive practice has prevented some substantive action when it comes to the most essential element of maintaining an orchestra, hiring musicians. Musicians' unions, which have in many ways valiantly worked to protect their members in an economically tenuous industry, have long been tenacious defenders of blind auditions, asserting they're the best way to ensure fairness. Are they not the best way to ensure fairness? Here's the thing. And this happens around the country. And occasionally people are honest and talk about it. Particularly in technology, people are forthcoming. As as tech companies like Google and Apple and the like uh, insist on diversity in hiring, they wonder, were they hired because of their abilities or were they hired because of their color? And it's not just them. Their coworkers wonder as well. Was this person hired because of their ability? Or was this person hired because of the color of their skin? You put people behind a screen and make them play music. They're going to be hired because of their ability to play music. You're not going to know their race. You're not going to know their gender. You're going to know that they're the best musician. And now they want to get rid of it because there aren't enough minority musicians. Here's the problem. It's not at the top. This is always the way these things work, isn't it? They want quick solutions to long-term problems. And your quick solution creates new problems and doubt. At the long end of this, how many, let's take Wilkinson County. Wilkinson County, rural part of Georgia, Kalen, the big industry over there. Beautiful, beautiful land in Wilkinson County, Georgia. Those of you not not from Georgia, uh, it's, it's a large county in the center of the state. It is very rural. Uh, I was a lawyer for a number of years and uh, did condemnation work for the Department of Transportation for a number of years, was in Wilkinson County frequently because they were building highways through Wilkinson County, taking kaolin mines, and everyone knew that in Wilkinson County, if you had kaolin on your land and the state wanted to build a highway, uh, you had won the lottery because the local jury was going to value your land astronomically. And it was always a difficult thing to negotiate in Wilkinson County because the, the, the area was poor and the locals could, on juries, help some of their their fellow uh, county residents uh, get rich off state taxpayers who wanted their land to build a highway. The school system there does not have uh, a ton of technology and Internet capacity. And, and those who are uh, at home with their kids now, Their families tend to be poor. They don't have access to fast computers and fast internet or to music teachers who are going to teach them violin or a family support structure that's going to take them to lessons. This isn't about black or white. It has a lot more to do with poverty And it has a lot more to do with family priorities. And essentially, what this out-of-touch music critic for the New York Times wants is for an entire system that is based on merit to be upended because there are not enough kids from minority families who are growing up learning to be master musicians.
I would suggest to him maybe write a check to some of the nonprofit groups that are out there helping, fostering mentors, getting instruction into some of these uh, colleges and, and, and uh, high schools where there are great band leaders. But they don't want to do that. They want to end the meritocracy. You know, it, it is increasingly clear to me that most of the left in this country really is opposed to the meritocracy. They want a class structure in this country. The, the left wants a class structure. I mean, in their minds, it, it, it's all the, 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 the bourgeois. I mean, they, they want to use Soviet labels, communist labels for class struggle. They, they, they embrace, if you're on the left, you embrace the idea of class struggle. You reject the capitalist idea of meritocracy. You, you claim it's a fraud anyway. So you can look at a situation like this in New York City where it is completely merit-based. Uh, merit you, you sit behind a screen. They don't know your name. They don't know your race. They don't know whether you're a man or a woman. And you play your heart out. And if they like the sound of your music, they like the sound of your instrument, you get the job. And the left doesn't like that. They don't like that it's based on raw talent because they believe fundamentally underlying it. Remember, it's like Elizabeth Warren. Remember Elizabeth Warren, uh, when she was first running for the Senate, I believe it was, uh, she was talking about um, you didn't make that, your your factory owner. Um, the factory owner couldn't have built the factory except for the taxpayers having paid for the roads and, and given right of way to the power company to put in the utility lines. And, and so you didn't really make that the whole idea of self-reliance and building your own business. That's not true. Uh, the, 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 the collective state helped you make your business by providing you your education in the public school and the roads to your business and all of that. You, you got to incorporate that. That's, that's communism. That is communist thinking. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that it literally is right out of Das Kapital where we cannot uh, value people based on the merits of their own self-worth and their talent, we must add to them a tax. A tax on the public school uh, that, that got them there. We, we must devalue their individual accomplishment because, hey, the public school teacher, what if you didn't go to the public school? Well, then you're a bigot, so we got to add a burden to you because you went to a private school. But the roads that got you to your audition paid for by the taxpayers, that, that contributed to your talent. You know, the roads that your parents drove you on. Oh, your parents drove because your parents had jobs. And we got we to gotta attribute the roads that benefited them to get them to their jobs as well. And on and on it goes. You're not allowed to stand on your own accomplishment in the left, with the left. And when you have something like this, where it is based on raw talent, nope, you can't, you can't have that either. Can't do it. Not allowed to. Uh, it's bad, and and it, it 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 this meritocracy. It's a false meritocracy. You know, it's, we had the Fourth of July Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal. You know, the the key word there is created, and this is the great dichotomy. Uh, that we're fighting right now in this country. Those on the right believe that we're all created equal, but equal outcomes aren't guaranteed. And the left is convinced that we're created equal and all of our outcomes have to be equal. Actually, we're created in unequal because some of you are, are white and privileged and some of you won't, aren't, and we got to equalize the outcome on the other end. 
when Jesus said that, oh, the poor we shall always have, he didn't mean the exact same poor people. The left treats it as the exact same poor people. And so we need to make them comfortable piling them up on the social safety net. Uh, and we can't actually progress. The poor people, the poor people are always going to be the poor people. Uh, we should give up on trying to uh, elevate them. Instead, we should drag down the rich people and take from them and give to the poor people to make the poor people comfortable, as opposed to the uh, philosophy on the right of uh, this poor person, we can give them an opportunity and we can give them education and we can help them be successful and they can rise above the social safety net and then give back. That's an, The whole idea of that is anathema to the left. We're all supposed to be piled up on the social safety net together. And if you dare get off, you're going to get shot or canceled. And here we have this now playing out across the country. Uh, This is the great fight of the time, and it involves cancel culture and everything else that's going on out there, Uh, whether or not the meritocracy will succeed. And I've got to tell you, uh, there was an exchange last night on uh, Fox between Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, where Sean uh, Tucker Carlson went off Jeff Bezos making billions of dollars and Sean Hannity saying that's that's capitalism. If he if he did it fairly. Let him do it. And I'm very sympathetic to Sean on this. And, and I think Tucker's too much of a populist on this for my liking. But there's some merit to the idea that you have guys like Jeff Bezos who are billionaires, who spend their money on lobbyists, who create an unequal playing field in Washington, D.C., where they, through intellectual property law and other things, can restrict other people's ability to compete with them. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, who is the best president we've ever had, Calvin Coolidge said that government actually should be in the business of of making the level playing field. And the playing field is not level right now. And I want you to see this and I want you to understand this and I want you to take this to heart. Income inequality began to skyrocket under Bill Clinton. When Bill Clinton started using the power of the tax code to carve out privileges and favors for friends. Barack Obama has done the same thing. Barack Obama embraced the idea of Washington picking winners and losers. You know what we actually need in this country? We need a great bankruptcy. And I realized there would be terrible fallout from that. But bear with me here. Let me make this point. There are a lot of companies that are zombie companies right now that are only existing because their friends and lobbyists in Washington send them money and subsidize their success and grant them intellectual property status on intellectual property they themselves did not create. And through the enforcement mechanisms of of IP law, through patent and trademark, they stifle competition and innovation. And the rich get richer in this country at this point because they have tooled Washington in large part to protect their privileged status. And what Washington should be doing is not picking the winners and losers, but should be upending the system by which people get to acquire ideas from other people, trademarks from other people, patents from other people, and and then use their wealth and resources to make sure other people can't compete against them. So, for example, let's take software real quick before I go to break real quick software. Do you know Apple patented the idea of swiping right to to unlock your phone? And and they fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. Uh, There are other ideas. Uh, You know, very famously, for example, there was the guy who decided to get the patent on you shine the red dot on the wall as a cat entertainment system. A cat entertainment system. Shine the red dot on the wall with your laser pointer, drives cats while he wanted to patent it. Software used to be treated under copyright. So Apple 
this Macintosh operating system and Windows for Microsoft could operate looking similarly, but because they derived their, their ideas, similar ideas through different means, they were both allowed to continue because they did not, Windows did not copy Apple's code. Nowadays, it's not the, the, it's not copyright by which we govern software. It is the patent laws and it's the very idea itself that can be patented and they can be obvious ideas, but they can be patented and companies exist out there having never invented a single thing, never come up with a concept, but they bought the patent and they ruthlessly enforce it and it stifles competition. And there are a whole lot of people out there using intellectual property law to get rich off of other people's work and stifling competition when they themselves not created anything. That is an unlevel unfair pay, playing field it's one reason jeff bezos has made so much money is because he can leverage amazon and leverage intellectual property of stuff that he didn't necessarily invent but he bought to shut other people out of the marketplace government should be leveling the playing field and if a ton of companies go bankrupt let the middle class pick up the pieces and become the upper class let it be a meritocracy based on ideas and innovation and competition, not on protection of the privileged few. That, I think, is what Tucker Carlson is getting at. I, I agree. Capitalism is great. And if you're going to make money, make money. Make as much money as you can. I want to make a ton of money. I really want to make a ton. I want to go to Vegas this weekend either, and that's not going to happen, but I do want to make money. But you know what? I should be able to compete, and government should purpose should be allow a level playing field where I can compete, not to prop up the winners through regulations that ensure that I can't compete against them. You can go to the resurgent.com every day. You can live stream the show there. You can, you can go to Facebook. Uh, you can go to my, my Substack page, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I mentioned masks yesterday, masks that, that my family, we bought and, and I think I like them the best. They're from a shoe company called Adams. Uh, they, they've got small, medium, and large. You can get them in various colors. They work. I, I don't get any money off this. This isn't an ad campaign, nothing. I, it's just I like them. Uh, it's adams.com. If you want the link, text the word data to 33777. If you text the word data to 33777, uh, you will get back the Georgia Department of Public Health uh, link on, on the, the rate of the spread of the virus here in Georgia, and you'll get a link to the IHME modeling for Georgia. You will also get a link to the Adams uh, Shoe Company and, and a link to their mask page. I continue to believe the overall case count, cumulative case count in Georgia really doesn't show you anything useful. Um, I will say this, that uh, the trend lines in Georgia right now are looking better. We had uh, the high of confirmed cases on July 6th was 5,032 cases. Uh, July 7th was 3,795. July 8th, 3,381. July 9th, uh, 3,343. July 10th, 3,042. Uh, July 11th, 1,567. Now, that number is going to go up, mind you. Uh, it was a um, weekend. You can tell the weekends when they drop off. But uh, the point here is that we uh, appear to be trending in the right direction. More importantly, it appears that the uh, hospitalization rate in Georgia is starting to improve again. There was a big spike in hospitalizations. A lot of people filled up in hospitals. Somebody, by the way, sent me an angry email in all caps yesterday. They misheard something I said. 
I said that a lot of hospitals are full now in Georgia. Uh, they've got a lot of COVID-19 patients in the, and I, I guess I might've needed to word it better. It's not just COVID-19 patients. Remember hospitals reopened for elective surgery among other things. So you got a, a lot of people in hospitals with elective surgeries, the strokes, the heart attacks, but also all the available bed space being filled up with uh, COVID-19 patients. There are a couple of hospitals in Georgia where more than 50% of the patients are COVID-19 patients, but those are in the minority. The majority of hospitals in the state actually are not filled up with COVID-19 patients. They've got them. And they're starting to stress hospital capacity uh, with lack of beds between everybody else and the COVID-19 patients. ICU space in Georgia. Uh, is is taxed, but they're not. It's not expected to be exceeded, and that is something you need to pay attention to. That uh, we're not expected to uh, we're not expected to exceed ventilator space or ICU space in the state, and that's good, and that's commendable, and we should note that uh, we're not going to reach. We're not going to max out beds. We're not going to max out. Um, we're not going to max out ICU beds. We're not going to max out ventilator space in the state of Georgia. And it looks like the trend lines show that the virus is starting to plateau or head down again in the state. And we should be encouraged by that in particular. When we come back, let's talk about mail-in voting. Some problems that are showing up out there. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, all over the place these days. The full number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I continue to maintain, if we're not going to open schools, cut property taxes. If, if you're not going to physically open these buildings, uh, cut properties, why, why, why is it your kids can't go to school, but yet the, the deputy under superintendent in charge of photocopier still has a job when the photocopiers aren't being used? Um, I just, it, it's, it's bizarre to me now, now, now we must, we, we must, um, move on to other things and I want to spend some time on voting because there is a big move right now nationwide. The Democrats are insistent on vote by mail. And I, I want you to know that in certain parameters, I actually don't have a problem with voting by mail. I tend to vote by mail. Most, a lot of people do, not most people, but a lot of people do. Uh, It's called absentee balloting. The difference between voting by mail and absentee balloting, though, is with absentee balloting, you have to request your ballot. And with mail-in balloting, everyone just gets a ballot in the mail. And it is possible to take someone's ballot out of their mail and vote for them. And it's, it's, it's an issue. And the left would like to play that down, but there's a bigger issue as well. I want to play for you this audio from Fox news. 23rd that the Democrats held a primary for the 12th congressional district, which covers parts of New York city. As of today, July the 21st, we still don't know who won. Four weeks later, no result. Can you imagine the chaos in this election mess if it were to be repeated many times over in the presidential election, the Senate election, the House elections on November the 3rd? The problem is mail-in balloting. 
Here's what happened in New York. On election day, they counted the 40,000 votes cast at polling stations. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney was 648 votes ahead of her challenger, Suraj Patel. But there were also 65,000 absentee ballots. They didn't start counting them until July the 8th. And now there's a legal challenge about which mail-in ballots are valid. So, still no result. Yes, it's a problem. Now, let me let me explain to you why we have these problems with with absentee or with mail-in balloting. Let's take California. Uh, in well, let, let's contrast California and Georgia. In Georgia, your ballot must be received on election day. If your ballot comes in the day after election day in Georgia, you're not going to have it counted, which puts due diligence on your part to put a stamp on it and get it in the mail as quickly as possible and get it back to the Board of Elections where it is held until election day when it is open. Now, that's a really important thing. You need to understand this. Um, the federal constitution requires that the ele- that federal elections be held on the first Tuesday following the first Monday in November. So that means that the earliest an election can happen is November 2nd. The latest it can happen is November 8th. And on the date that the election happens, then you can count votes. And the way it has always been interpreted is that an absentee ballot is not actually cast until election day, even though you send it back, it's not open and counted until election day because the election is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. The problem is that in California, where in Georgia, you must mail it and ensure that it gets there by election day. In California, it's just going to be postmarked on election day. So in California... You can, let's say you are in, let's say you're in, you're voting absentee and you've gone to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Every country affixes a stamp with a certification by the post office of that country with the date something is mailed. There are international treaties on postal standards and they are binding on every nation. And if you are in uh, Beijing, Dubai, Timbuktu, or, or, or Cape Town, South Africa, and you put a letter in the mail on November 2nd, election day, and it is postmarked by that country as uh, being mailed out that day, well, then that's binding everywhere else in the world. And in California, your ballot just has to be postmarked on election day. It could take a week or two for that ballot to show up in California, which means the election can't be decided if a whole bunch of people are voting and they're doing it in that way. The election can't be determined. There are deep flaws with this, huge flaws with this. And then on top of that, there's the the ballot harvesting. Now, uh, ballot harvesting is something that should be banned and is not because it it tends to benefit the left. 
the left has massive machines in place to uh, incentivize ballot harvesting. What ballot harvesting is, is let, let's say in a mail-in ballot, say let's take Oregon, which is mail-in. Everybody votes by mail in Oregon. Well, you have activists who show up at your home. They knock on your door and they say, hey, you got a ballot. You live in Oregon. Of course, you've got a ballot. Let us take your ballot for you and take it back to the Board of Elections. We will make it easy for you. We will even provide the postage. Now, I don't know about, I just made up the postage part there. I assume that could happen. Uh, I I would assume in Oregon that the local boards of elections aren't prepaying the postage. So the person shows up, they take your envelope. Let's say they put a stamp on it or not, but let's say, let's just say that it's a left-wing group and they know you're a conservative. The odds are they're not going to turn your ballot in. You're, it's going to get accidentally lost or they're going to they're going to forget to put the stamp on yours. This actually happens in 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 places that do mail-in balloting. Some states ban it. Most democratic states don't ballot harvesting. You could have someone show up at your door and say they know not only that you have a ballot because everyone in the state votes by mail, but that you haven't sent yours in because you're not on the list from the Board of Elections as having sent your ballot in. And they will gladly take it for you. That could be intimidating to people. Can you imagine if we did this in Georgia? You would have Stacey Abrams out there on every TV channel in America claiming that white people were going into black communities and in knocking on people's doors and getting their ballots and intimidating them. Uh, this is the moment the moment Republicans start doing this sort of stuff, it will be declared racist. And, and maybe then the Democrats will finally want to ban ballot harvesting. Can you imagine the hand that would be played in Georgia if you did this sort of stuff? Ballot harvesting is bad and needs to be banned. And on top of that, we now have this problem in Fulton County, Georgia. Fulton County, y'all, listen, I want to be very clear here. I'm talking metaphorically. I'm not actually calling for violence. Someone should metaphorically burn down the Fulton County Board of Elections and start over. That place, since I was a kid in college, uh, Fulton County has never figured out how to run an election. And they always blame the Republicans now. No, notice they always blame it. It's the Republican Secretary of State's fault all the time. Never mind it is the local Board of Elections screwing this stuff up. The Fulton County Board of Elections has sent out a bunch of uh, absentee ballots and forgot on the return envelope to put their address on it. So people are getting the ballots, they're filling them out, they're sticking them in the sealed envelope to mail back to the Board of Elections, and there's no address. And you got to send it to a particular address. And Fulton County forgot to print their address, and somehow it's Brad Raffensperger's fault. The Georgia Republican Secretary says it's his fault. It is never the local Board of Elections' fault. Never, ever, ever is it the local Board of Elections' fault here in Georgia. Uh, it, 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 this happens every single time. There are ways to do mail-in balloting, but we should not do California or Fulton County. And frankly, in Georgia, we're just going to overwhelm the system. You you know my personal preference? I'm not opposed to everybody voting by mail, but I don't really like it. My personal preference is that we should make Election Day a holiday and let everybody go vote on Election Day. We should expand the number of precincts. 
We should find more volunteers, incentivize volunteers. It would drive up the cost. We'd have to raise taxes to cover it, I'm sure. But it is the the most important act in our republic is our vote. And we should treat it as sacrosanct, and we should treat that day as a momentous day. And so we should make it as easy as possible for everyone to go vote on the exact same day, and we all wait together for the election. I personally think that's what we should do. Make Election Day a very special day in this country. Every two years, you have a federal and state holiday where everybody takes off and you go cast your ballot. And then we wait around the rest of the day and see what happens. And we should discourage absentee balloting and we should discourage early voting and we should discourage mail-in balloting. And it should be everybody gets up on Election Day and goes and stands in line together and we all cast our ballots and then we elect our new leader. If I were king for a day, that's what I would do. Because I think, I personally think that uh, we don't treat, that we, we quibble over the voting and we yell at each other over how, how people are voting and the like. I don't think we all appreciate enough our democracy. And I, I abhor the idea of mandatory voting. You know, this is going to be the, the next thing the left pushes is that you should be fined like some countries for not voting. Now, we have a poll tax ban in this country. It'd be very hard for them to actually pull this off. But there are there are uh, leftist groups in this country that want to require you to vote. Now, the reason they want to require you to vote is look at registered voters in this country. Registered voters in this country lean to the left. If everyone was forced to go vote or be fined or taxed, it would increase the number of Democrats because it's, it's people who don't particularly like Democrats, ironically who would be forced to go vote and would vote for the Democrats who forced them to go vote against their will. I told you guys people were stupid. But nonetheless, that's what the Democrats want. I am vehemently opposed to mandatory voting. There are some countries on the planet, Belgium is one, I think Australia is one, where you are required to vote, and if you don't vote, you're taxed. In this country, not voting is as much a vote as voting. Your refusal to go vote for one of the the, the uh, biblical donkeys that you don't like, that your refusal to go vote is a vote against all of them, a pox on, on all of them. And you should have that right. But uh, the left wants to force you to go vote. And, you know, you could go you could go show up and not even vote. Go go sh- sign up, get your ballot and cast it blank. People People do that in these other countries. But you shouldn't have to go through the kabuki theater of it. Just don't go vote. If you don't want to vote, I actually encourage people not to vote. I think more people should not vote. I frankly think you should have to be a, a pro- go back to having a property ownership in this country to vote. I realize that is a radical, archaic idea. But we got so many people in this country who solely want to go vote for politicians to take from the people who have the, the property and pay the property taxes in this country and redistribute it elsewhere. I, I think you got to have a vested interest in land ownership in this country to be able to vote. It is my archaic radical idea. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what gender you are, but I think you got to have a stake in the private property of this country to be able to go vote, whether it's you own stocks, you have a 401k, uh, you, you own land. I, I And frankly, I think that the District of Columbia, we should not le- let them vote. I, I've got radical ideas on voting many of you would hate, but my number one radical idea on voting is that election day should be a national holiday we should have no early voting, limited absentee voting. We should have three times as many precincts and, and voting machines as we have to make it as easy as possible for everyone to show up on Election Day together and cast their votes as a United States of America to choose our new leaders. For some reason, people think that's a bad idea. Now, before I go to commercial break, speaking of our rights, you know what of our rights in this country? 
One of our rights in this country is the right to keep and bear arms. And you don't want to just like buy the basic cheapy gun. You you actually want to put some thought into it. If you're going to get a gun, I recommend all the time people, their starter gun should be Glock 19. I love my Glock 19. It was my first gun. I think Glocks are great. I realize some people don't like them. I think Glocks, the wear and tear on a Glock is great and you should get one, but you don't just have to get it and, and be stuck with it. You you can go to a group like True Precision and you can upgrade your gun and turn it into a work of art like mine. I've got a Glock 43X and I upgraded it with True Precision. The The barrel is different. The, the slide is different. The sights are different. I still got to upgrade my trigger. I do need to upgrade my trigger, which we're going to work on. But I highly encourage True Precision. Uh, I'm a customer of theirs. I, I have shown my gun on the live stream before. If you go to Instagram, you can see it. it it's camo pattern. It is gorgeous. It is. It is fun to shoot. And and it's cool to look at. I love it. The grip, everything. You want to upgrade your gun, turn it into a work of art, go to true-precision.com, true-precision.com. Check out their guns. You can buy slides. You can buy barrels. You can do it over the internet. You're not buying a full gun from them. You're buying the pieces. So you go there, you buy them. And if you use Eric in the checkout code, E-R-I-C-K is your checkout code, you get 10% off. It is worth it. And you'll be the cool guy at the range and everyone want to know, where did you get that gun from? Because it happens to me. I take my gun to the range and people look at it. They're like, where'd you get that? It's a true precision, true-precision.com. All right. I, I, well, we're not, this is life. I just, I, I, I feel bad talking about the Lincoln project because I got a number of friends of mine who are tied uh, to the Lincoln? They, they they've always hated Donald Trump. They 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 don't want to change. And I'm just I'm not willing to reject friends because we we disagree on Donald Trump. Although some of them are mad at me for saying I'll vote for him. Um, but I just I so I I, I I've tried to dance around it. But y'all y'all the criticisms of the Lincoln Project aren't wrong. When you look at the people who are in charge of the Lincoln Project, and for those of you who don't know what the Lincoln Project is, the Lincoln Project is an anti-Trump, it's become an anti-Republican group. They're not just trying to take out the president, but take out Republicans uh, who they think haven't been sufficiently hostile to Donald Trump, who is, by the way, the president of the United States and leader of the Republican Party. Uh, they they have increasingly decided to behave exactly as they claim Donald Trump behaves, which is ironic. Uh, but it really is an organization of grifters and hucksters. It, it is, I mean, John Weaver is uh, one of the least successful Republican strategists in this country, other than John Kasich's career. I mean, uh, John Weaver has not been successful. Stuart Stevens is a great guy, but uh, he didn't exactly do a great job with Mitt Romney. I mean, a lot of the major strategists involved here are people who uh, are actually contributed to the rise of Donald Trump. They continued to back moderate, mushy candidates that the voters continued to reject that made Republican voters more and more furious as these uh, candidates rubbed the conservatives' noses in their policies in the name of getting an election. They really took seriously, run as far right as you can in the primary and then run back to the middle and betray all the people who voted for you. That was their strategy. The voters finally rejected it, had enough of it, voted for Donald Trump in large part because of the consistent betrayal of the candidates these guys backed. And now they're like, oh, we got to stop Donald Trump. You led to Donald Trump. More particularly, they're making mint off of Donald Trump. When Donald Trump goes away, most of the people at the Lincoln Project uh, will see their careers evaporate. So many of them have ridden to fame 
in opposition to Donald Trump. They have ridden the mainstream media hostility wave of Donald Trump uh, into the mainstream. And it is it is an organization of grifters and hucksters and failed campaign strategists who tried to hijack the Republican Party to make it more liberal and failed and are now retaliating by going full in with the Democrats, trying to destroy Republican candidates and uh, the president. Now, listen, I'm going to say something some of you won't like, but I understand conservatives who don't back Donald Trump. I do. And I don't blame them. I'm sympathetic to their concerns. And I think when Donald Trump is gone, you're going to have to listen to them and give some of them, not all of them, but some of them a seat at the table. But if you're not just sitting on the sidelines saying, I'm not going to vote for the guy, but you're actively opposing the Republican nominee in the general election right now and the Republican senators, and you're trying to get Joe Biden elected and you're trying to get Democrats elected in the Senate, you deserve not only no seat in the Republican Party, you deserve to not be treated as Republican. And of course, the media is going out of their way to say these are Republicans. They're not Republicans anymore. They don't want to be a part of the Republican Party. They want to destroy the Republican Party. We shouldn't treat them as such. And to the extent that there's pushback from the right on the Lincoln Project, that's what it's about. The media is trying to define these guys as Republican when they're trying to burn the Republican Party down. And they won't be any more successful than they have been getting some of these other guys elected. That's just, they're, they haven't been overwhelmingly successful. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. Phone lines are open. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. If you want to call in, you can always find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the like. It's E.W. Erickson. Uh, real quick, one more time. Uh, on the masks, I, I keep getting people their their email and saying, you mentioned the mask. Where can I get the masks? Um, is so uh, the president now wants people to wear masks in many areas of the state of Georgia. By the way, this gives a, the lie to Keisha Lance Bottoms and the media claim that the president, that the governor is suing her to stop people from wearing masks. Uh, he's not suing any of the other cities in the state that have mandated masks. He's suing her and the city because they want to shut businesses back down. But of course, who cares what the truth is when you can, when you can attack the guy who beat Stacey Abrams. Um, the, the reality though, is that, uh, people do need masks and a lot of masks are actually pretty terrible. Uh, I have gone out of my way to try to find decent masks and I think I found decent masks. I like the mask, uh, in my family, we were using some that uh, kind of looked like, I mean, they're, they're good. Don't get me wrong. They, they were good. They served a purpose, but they're kind of diaperish. Uh, but these masks are classy and they work. Uh, they're they're lined with copper and silver filaments, uh, so they're antimicrobial. You can wash them by hand. They dry quickly, uh, and they actually do work. Uh, you 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 get right up to a candle and try to blow the candle out. You can't blow the candle out. That's that's a good test for you there. Um, if you want them, they're Adams. Adams is the is a shoe company. Now let me let me go to the website is Adams.com. I'll tell you how much the masks are worth or how much they cost rather. Uh, a large mask is twelve dollars, uh, and a small they're they're all the same price. Small, medium, and large. They come in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight colors. Uh, you choose your color, and um, I I recommend. Uh, I mean, we've got a small one for my son, uh, and larger ones for the rest of us, and. 
I, I just, they're not making a profit for the mass sales. Adams isn't, I'm not making money off this. This isn't an ad. I just, I know how pain in the butt it is to try to find them, particularly now that they're mandated. And I like these. Uh, and so the website is adams.com. Or if you can't remember that, if you text the word data, D-A-T-A, text that word data to 33777, and I'll send you back a link. Text data to 33777. I will send you back a link to Adams. Uh, the masks, they're 12 bucks each, and I I think it's worth it. Um, you're going to have to have a mask in more and more places around the state. They're mandating them uh, of dubious enforcement around the state, but they're mandating them. And I just encourage you to go out and get a good one as opposed to, and you know, there are some disposable, I've got some disposable ones. Ironically, you know where most of the disposable masks come from out there? Wuhan, China. Wuhan, China makes the disposable mask. I've got a, just, just as an aside here. And again, not, not, a, not an ad or endorsement. Uh, and I, I think I may have found a solution for him. So I've got a friend of mine who is connected to a company down in Florida. They domestically make N95 masks and your standard uh, disposable surgical masks that are in short supply. And they don't have a distributor in the United States because they've always done direct sales. But they're making the masks now and they're not doing less than like 100,000 masks at a time for sale. And they've sold uh, 50 million masks to one country in Central America. They've sold 20 million masks to another country. And they've literally had to uh, go rent airplanes and load them with the cases of masks and fly them uh, to these countries because they don't have a distribution chain. And, well, now there's a shortage in this country, and they're trying to find a distributor in this country. And it's been very difficult for them to find a distributor or direct government or corporate sales in this country. And the the reason is because uh, 3M is the gold standard. 3M is the gold standard. And most companies and the government want 3M masks. And this company has the certification to show that their N95 masks are just as good and their surgical masks are just as good, but they're not 3M. And on top of that, they don't have a distributor in this country. I think I have found uh, a distributor. I, I so I, I know some of the folks at Uline Industries, which is one of the big um, distributors for corporations and, and stuff for paper products and business and office supplies in the country. And I was trying to connect them with Uline. I, I don't know that um, that that you line ever followed back up, but I, I think I found them someone, but it's just, a, it's, it's a sign of some of the problems that we're having in the country in supply chain, that you've got a domestic company that can make in hundred thousand quantity mass. And by the way, let, let me just pause right here. Cause I know some of you are going to reach out and say, Hey, I, I've got a doctor's office and, and we need some masks. Can I reach out to them? Unless you're willing to buy a hundred thousand masks at a time. No, uh, that's what they do. And they, they shut down the rest of their supply chain uh, to be able just to focus on mass. And, and they need a distributor. And I think maybe I found them a Georgia company to be able to distribute. But it, it, my, my point here is not really that. It's that we still have problems in our supply chain. And remember after 9-11, there was a 9-11 commission. And the 9-11 commission went to see what went wrong, what needed to be improved, what needed to be fixed. We're going to need that after COVID-19. Because there are still in this country uh, supply chain issues and distribution issues. Take the, this company in Florida with its masks 
or take um, beef and poultry and pork and paper shortages and the ability of a paper company to turn on a dime and move from corporate sales to residential sales and the bureaucracy that goes through that and the changing of barcodes. Sonny Perdue and I, the, the Secretary of Agriculture, for Donald Trump, we've had this conversation on air here, uh, and and he has said it was overwhelmingly problematic, and it was moving heaven and earth, even within the bureaucracy of the Agriculture Department, even as the Secretary of Agriculture, who had carte blanche to do what he wanted, it was a burden to be able to shift the gears of the Ag Department and then to help corporations shift their gears to be able to do stuff. But, you know, they did it successfully. Remember all of the belly aching about we were going to have meat shortages in this country, that you weren't going to be able to find ground beef? And for a time there, in some cases, you couldn't because people were so freaked out they were going to buy up every bit they could. And so you could go to the grocery store and and there could be there would be no ground beef. I, this happened to me at Kroger. Now, thankfully, luckily, I always go to Publix as much as I can. And Publix never had a ground beef shortage, never had a ground chuck shortage. Now, there were times where you had to go ask because they, they were grinding up more and it wasn't out yet. But I never I, I never was in a situation where I had a hard time finding ground chuck at Kroger or at Publix. At Kroger, I did. There are times where you have trouble finding brisket uh, and you have trouble finding brisket uh, during holiday seasons, uh, particularly around Easter and Passover, uh, but you can typically find it. Uh, But uh, there were a lot of places in the country that were having some meat shortages, but not a lot in large part because the Department of Agriculture was able to change things around so much and, and help these companies so much that they were able to get their supply chain redirected in a way. But look at the toilet paper. You go to the you go to your local grocery store right now and there's still a lot of empty space in, uh, in on grocery store shelves. With paper towels. Uh, so you go, so, you know, I, I'm in middle Georgia. And if I go over to Publix right now, I guarantee you that finally, after months of having empty shelves, I'll find Charmin and I'll find Angel Soft. I may find Northern, but I'm not going to find paper towels right now. But the toilet paper's back. The paper towel's having trouble. But I'm getting paper towel shipments from Amazon, so I don't worry about that. But there are still paper product supply chain issues out there. And a lot of the problem is people aren't going to their offices anymore. And so what was happening is you had this entire industry of paper product manufacturers, Charmin and the like, uh, Georgia Pacific, Kimberly Clark, James River, and they were producing paper at scale for hotels, restaurants, and offices. And then suddenly no one could go to hotels, restaurants, and offices. I want to go to a hotel so bad. And they were having trouble shifting their supply chain over to the residential side. And it wasn't just that they were having a hard time shifting over to the residential side. First of all, for a lot of these places, they they just do one-ply garbage. And so they're going to have to up uh, the the ply. But it was barcoding, the UPC labels. Because you can sell to a lot of corporations wholesale in cases without a UPC label. And you can't at the grocery store. And to their credit, uh, places like um, uh, Kroger, Harris Teeter, uh, Publix, uh, Albertsons, around the country, major uh, grocery store chains. What is it? Um, Hebe in, in Texas and, um, oh, what was the one? A giant, I guess, up in, in the New York and the Washington area. Anyway, they, they were working, Safeway working with 
these producers to change and allow them to sell without the UPC labels, but then there were local and state and federal governmental regulations that came into, into play and blocked it. And it was just, it became a burden. And so we had paper shortages. We've had meat shortages. We've had chicken shortages. Uh, there have been shorted produce shortages. And we've also got the essential worker problem of if you work at the poultry plant in Gainesville, Georgia, where the COVID-19 is spreading and you're considered an essential worker, they need you there to produce it. And they got to shut down the plant because the virus is going rampant. Where are you going to get the chicken from? And then there's the most infuriating aspect of it all where because they weren't able to pick it and process it and ship it fast enough, you had farmers across the country having to dump produce out, feed it to the pigs or just dump it on the land because the grocery stores wouldn't get it because, oh, you know, there, there may be a brown spot on it. We can't take it now. The amount of waste that went on, there needs to be some sort of commission. When you've got a, a domestic company at a time of mask shortages that can churn out 100,000 masks at a time or a million masks at a time and can't find a way to distribute them into the Fortune 500 or to the governments of the country because of, of they're not, they don't have the connections, the political connections to make it happen. Or you've got a producer of corn that's having to drop the corn all over the ground because they can't get to the grocery store through the supply chain. Or you've got the paper manufacturer that can't sell, even though they've got an excess of toilet paper, they can't sell it because it lacks a UPC label for a grocery store. There are clear issues along the way in our supply chain that show that the the, the critical supply, uh, the, the immediate supply, the rapid ability to supply, there are chinks in the armor that need to be fixed. You know, it, our American supply chain is actually very, very robust when there's not a crisis. Our, um, I forget exactly the term, and I'm sorry, my 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 brain is farting on me right now. But um, you you get it, it is produced, it is shipped, and it is ready. You got a, a a very short window of time, as opposed to stockpiling and having great warehouses full of stuff that may or may not get used. We have a a a very good supply chain of rapid delivery, rapid production, rapid delivery. But in times of crisis. It starts to break down. And surely there should be some ways to reprioritize things when there is a declaration of emergency that, you know, maybe the grocery store or the, the regulations of the state and the federal government aren't going to require UPC labels on all the stuff being sold. Or maybe they're going to stockpile more frozen stuff. You know, if you recall back in February and March, I remember talking about it on the radio program. People were worried about food shortages. And I was reading from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN and Fox News say, no, no, America's meat producers are saying there's enough frozen food in this country to last a year. And then suddenly we get to March and April, like we're going to have meat shortages. What happened in the, the stories from February and March that we had enough frozen meat in this country to last for a year at peak demand to April and May say, oh, we're ground beef. We're not going to be able to find it or pork. And well, what happened to cause that change? There are issues that need to be focused on. I, by the way, you know, so I sit down every day and I kind of write out what I want to talk about and outline. This was not it. This, this was not a topic. I actually right now was going to talk about the China problem, which I still want to talk about. And we'll talk about that, I guess, in the next hour. But this is a big issue. And, and running into these stories about supply chain issues, how is it that we are now July 22nd? We are seven months into this pandemic and there are still supply chain issues in this country uh, related to the virus. There's something just not right there. And just like a 9-11 commission, we need to have something after this is all over to figure 
figure out in hindsight what went wrong and how we can improve it for the next time we have a crisis, a global pandemic or something like that. It just makes sense that we should do that. We should not. The United States of America should not be having the problems we're having like this. You know, one of the other problems we're having is what to do with uh, companies right now uh, with stimulus and and do we incentivize going back to work? Do we incentivize people staying home? Uh, do we expand PPP? Uh, this is a great time for me to remind you that First Liberty Building and Loan is out there. If you're a company that needs access to capital or uh, if they re-up the PPP program, you want to get into it, First Liberty Building and Loan is who you need to see. They're local. They're in Noonan, Georgia. And they uh, they work with businesses and they do big deals. I'm talking $10 million deals. You, you, you want to grow your business. You need access to capital. They're who you need to see. But more importantly, if you're a small business and you need help navigating the Small Business Administration's disaster relief programs, uh, the PPP program and the like, First Liberty Building Loan can help you as well. And you can apply online. You go to firstlibertyga.com. And you click on the apply now button and you can apply with them. You can find their contact information there if you want to call them. No reason for me to give you a phone number here. You're probably in your car. You can't write it down, but you can remember firstlibertyga.com. Go check them out if you're a business and you need access to capital, want to grow, uh, want PPP money. Talk to them. See what they can do for you. They can certainly help you get into some programs. They can't guarantee you access, but they certainly want to help you try. Hi there. Uh, I will have some uh, a recipe going out later. If you want to uh, text recipe to three three seven seven seven, we will. I'll be sending it out. Um, it's, I, I had a I had a guy email me and he said, you know, I, I wish you wouldn't just send out a recipe, but would actually like send out some tips and tricks as well for what you do for cooking. So I'm I'm going to try to do that. Uh, reboot the recipe list. Uh, it's recipe to three three seven seven seven. Why is Geraldo trending online? Um, oh, okay. Um, oh, uh, Geraldo. Uh, ooh. Geraldo is defending Ghislaine Maxwell. Is it Ghislaine Maxwell? Probably need to say it differently given the circumstances. Um, but nonetheless, Geraldo is defending the woman. Yeah, this I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew it. I, I said it yesterday on my evening show because uh, I had to cover the president's press conference. I knew that his... Wishing that this Maxwell woman who's connected to Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein wishing her well, was going to be the thing that resonated. That was just, can we all acknowledge that was bizarre? He knew the woman from Palm Beach, so he wishes her well, come what may. She, she's the woman who was uh, allegedly the recruiter for Jeffrey Epstein. I, I got to say, I, I, I kind of, so... I find the Jeffrey Epstein jokes to be hilarious. The, the, he's <laughs> the, remember back at Christmas? What, what, what do, what do Christmas lights and Jeffrey Epstein have in common? Neither one hung themselves. <laughs> I'm sorry. I found it funny, uh, but I've got a, I've got a crazy sense of humor, but, but this Maxwell woman, I just, I, I, <laughs> The, the person who photoshopped Hillary Clinton's tweet and says, well, I wish my condolences to Ms. Ms. Uh, Maxwell on her impending death. <laughs> or, or New York Times accidentally runs her, her 
uh, obituary ahead of time. I just, man, I mean, the, the fact that Epstein died in that way, and, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and, and the larger part of me says he did commit suicide. He had tried before, but the amount of screw-up that went into that, from cameras not working to, to guards being misassigned to, to people not checking on him and the like, uh, yeah, there's... Of course, I can't blame anyone for looking at that as suspiciously. And I think the jokes that have come out of it have been absolutely hysterical. But for the president at his press conference to say he wishes the woman well, it just, I I don't know that, I think he probably should have reconsidered uh, saying something else. But you know, at his press conference as well, he used notes. And of course, Jim Acosta had to grandstand on that issue. Uh, When he had a rally in Tulsa, Earlier this year, uh, there were thousands and thousands of people there not wearing masks. Uh, And speaking of that, at one point during this briefing, the president uh, seemed to be reading off of notes, uh, you know, throughout this uh, press conference. But at one point, he said he wants people to stay away from crowded bars and so on. Well, what about crowded rallies that he would like to have all around the country? So it, it was just one inconsistency after another, Wolf. And speaking of inconsistency, there was a glaring one. Uh, during this press conference when the president was asked how many times he's tested a day for the coronavirus. Earlier in the day, the White House press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, tried to downplay the importance of the president wearing masks, saying he's tested all the time and said at one point that he's tested multiple times a day. And then the president was asked about that during this press briefing. And the president says that that's not the case, that he's tested maybe once a day, uh, not more times uh, than once a day. You know, We've gotten to the point where the, the 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 press corps really isn't interested so much in facts and information as they are quibbling with the president and his statements, which is just silly. They're not serious people. It is it's where we've gotten as a country. Now, uh, when we come back, I we we got to talk about Portland, and now the federal authorities are going to expand into Chicago to help the Chicago law enforcement teams deal with local crime issues. I actually have problems with that. But I think the media is doing such a bad job of covering this. I want to try to set the record straight on what is actually going on in Portland, Oregon, and elsewhere. Uh, Why I've got problems with it, but also why I think the president uh, is within his right to some degree to do what he's doing in Portland and elsewhere. We got got issues, and man, we are no longer uh, a country with a press that has any interest in actually covering things fairly. They're fixated on trying to just play gotcha with the president on his statements, and it's going to come back to ruin their credibility even more than it's already ruined. Quick, what do you call fake pasta? Impasta. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) I know. I know. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, did you hear about the the mathematician who hated negative numbers? He would stop at nothing to avoid them. <laughs> My son last night started reading me dad jokes. I thought they were fantastic. My personal favorite, though, my personal favorite, how do you, a- Abby, if you're listening, you're going to love this one. How do you drown a hipster? Throw him in the mainstream. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I promise. I promise I'll stop. Uh, <laughs> they were so bad, but I was dying laughing. My my kid was loving it. Okay, we, we got to move on. Uh, what was I going to talk about? There? I know what I was going to talk about. I, I want to, 
I want to go back to, to, to stuff from yesterday. I, I got to get to the China stuff. I got a whole section of my notes of stuff I want to talk about on China. We will get there. You know, the, the Chinese consulate in Houston was ordered closed. They were burning all the documents in the consulate last night. Makes you wonder why. Uh, linked to a Chinese espionage operation in the United States. Uh, and, and we ordered them shut down and they burned all their documents, which is suspicious. Hmm. We'll get there. But I, I want to play you some audio. I want to play you a couple of bits of audio first uh, that, that actually kind of infuriates me. First is Whoopi Goldberg. We've sort of felt it a little bit when we've seen other sort of riots break out. and We've seen them bust out troops. But this is different. This feels different. This, this feels different. like a planned attack against the American people. And it's very yeah. specific and it's very targeted. A planned attack against the American people. The president sending uh, federal Department of Homeland Security uh, law enforcement to Portland, Oregon. Here's John Heileman on MSNBC. Right, Mike. I haven't heard from the attorney general either, although I'm, I'm going to guess that the attorney general, given past practice, will be on Donald Trump's side here. I, I just I, I everything that's been said here, I think, is about this particular issue is right, but not doesn't go far enough. Uh, you know, we are talking, this is not just performative authoritarianism, this is authoritarianism. This is a, these are paramilitary yeah. units. These are the kinds of things that we have seen in tyrannical authoritarian regimes in third world countries throughout the 20th, the second half of the 20th century. This is not a, this is not a mystery what's going on here. And I think that to, to, to look at this through the prism of symbolic politics, the law and order campaign, Trump uh, trying to rerun the Nixon playbook is true, but doesn't, as I say, go far enough. We are looking, I think, here, and this is a dark, and I, I don't want to be overly alarmist about this, but I think this is do. the time to be alarmist, knowing where Donald Trump stands right now politically. Just, just let we, I got to stop. I'm, I'm going to cuss on radio. What an idiot. Um, let, let, me, let me tell you what Donald Trump is doing. Donald Trump has sent uh, federal law enforcement officials to Portland, Oregon, to protect federal property in the same way Brian Kemp here in Georgia, the governor has sent uh, Georgia National Guard to protect uh, Georgia property in, in Atlanta when the mayor of Atlanta refused to protect the state capitol and other places. Uh, the president is having to send federal guards to uh, Portland to protect the federal courthouse there where rioters have been trying to burn it down. That's what he's doing. To the extent that the president is protecting federal property, he has every constitutional right to do that. But I kind of wish he would let it all burn. Uh, the president, I, I want to be very clear here because it, it's amazing how people want to quibble with the details on this stuff. Everyone suddenly is an expert because they read it on the internet. The president should not be helping Portland, Oregon, contain its rioters. He has every right to protect federal property. To the extent that these federal law enforcement agents are arresting people for violating federal, for vandalizing federal property, they've got every right to do it. But I really don't think they should. I think that Portland, Oregon is a place that has a long history of this sort of stuff. And if they want to, if the rioters want to burn Portland to the ground, let them burn it to the ground. The voters of Portland allowed a, a local uh, elected officials who would allow this sort of stuff, let them deal with the consequences. And the same thing in Chicago. There are reports today 
that the president intends to allow federal law enforcement under the direction of the attorney general to go help local Chicago police contain violence in Chicago. And I personally think that they shouldn't do it. I think that they should allow the violence in Chicago to continue as it always has and let the mayor of Chicago be held accountable for it. And if the mayor of Chicago isn't going to be held accountable for it, then the people are going to have to live with it because that's the city that they themselves created. They cast blame on everyone else. They cast doubt on everyone else. They say the guns come from everywhere else. And yet it's Chicagoans gunning down Chicagoans. And overwhelmingly, it is uh, violence within the black community uh, conducted by uh, members of the black community and everyone says we're supposed to care about all of this stuff and their systemic racism and yet people killing people in the black community and no one's allowed to have an opinion on it because you're racist if you do let chicago deal with the consequences of chicago violence and if you can't go there because it's no longer a safe place for tourists to go well then they will pay the price with revenue a lack of revenue and the people of chicago will finally have to stand up that's just the reality of it the president has absolutely 100 billion percent the right to defend federal property. And if the local police in Portland, Oregon are not going to defend the federal courthouse from being vandalized, then the president's going to have to do it. He's got an obligation as the commander in chief, as the chief executive officer of the United States of America to protect federal property from being destroyed. But I still kind of wish he'd just leave it all alone. I, I don't I don't care about the Whoopi Goldberg comments and the John Heilman comments because they are they are bat poop crazy leftists who have been broken by Donald Trump and will believe the worst. If if Joe Biden were to go in and do this, they would be praising him and they would be wishing that he had expanded federal authority. Here's the problem, though. I'm concerned that with what the president is doing in these places, particularly uh, leave out the protecting of, pri- uh, of, of public governmental federal property in Portland. But if you're sending law enforcement to Chicago to help in the gun violence situation, that's just a precedent that Democrats are going to use against conservatives when conservatives in in conservative states refuse to pass gun control measures that the Democrats in Congress decide to pass. If Joe Biden wins and the Democrats take back the Senate, they're now saying they'll scrap the filibuster so they can do stuff like this. They do it. You're going to have Republican states refuse to implement it. You're going to see uh, permanent fixtures of of an expansive federal law enforcement regime in these states thanks to the president of Donald Trump. That does concern me. And I, 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 it's amazing how many people want to lecture me. Well, the president has the right to defend private, to defend the federal government's property. I, that's what I'm saying. He has that right. And if that's all they're doing, that's fine. But if we can believe the media reports today, and, and the Department of Justice appears to be confirming them, that they're going to send federal agents to Chicago to help the local law enforcement there, I don't think they should. Chicago should deal with Chicago's violence. And if they're not going to deal with it, the rest of us shouldn't be bothered. There are reports that are disputed by the federal government that the agents in Portland are going beyond protecting uh, federal government property, that they're actually uh, trying to arrest protesters who are protesting elsewhere in the city. I, I don't see evidence of that. If it's true, they should cut it out. Again, I don't see evidence of it. But that's what's being claimed in the press. If it's true, they need to cut it out. I just think at some point that we have to allow people to live with the consequences of their actions. 
And if the hipsters in Portland want to take over the city and have a, a segregated zone where they occupy Portland, let them. Let the people of Portland deal with it. They're the ones who elected those local officials. And right now, those local officials can blame Donald Trump. And the, 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 the mayor of Chicago can blame Donald Trump instead of taking responsibility herself. And this woman, she's like Keisha Lance Bottoms, refuses to take any responsibility, wants to blame everyone else. Keisha Lance Bottoms wants to blame open carry in Atlanta, wants to blame Republicans and Donald Trump for the violence in the city. The mayor of Chicago wants to blame Indiana gun laws. These people need to take responsibility for themselves and their actions. And if their cities are going to burn, let them burn. Because their residents voted for that government. Uh, You know, it's like, so I live in Macon, Georgia. Back in 1996, the Summer Olympics were held in Atlanta, Georgia. And every city in the state of Georgia got an Olympic venue of some kind. In Columbus, Georgia, there was whitewater rafting. They had something in in Savannah. Um, All around the state of Georgia, there were venues for the 1996 Olympic Games, except in Macon, Georgia, which is an hour south of where the Olympics were being held. In the geographic center of the state, there was nothing. And there was nothing because the local city government was incompetent and at war with itself and and couldn't get along and so couldn't have a united front to make a case for having one of the Olympic venues. And so they were left left behind. And frankly, where I am here in middle Georgia in Bibb County, <clears throat> this is a pattern and practice of this county. There is an airport in middle Georgia, the middle Georgia regional airport. If you added a few hundred more feet of runway space, you could offload uh, cargo capacity from uh, two dead mares international airport for middle Georgia. Right now, UPS and FedEx land their cargo planes in Atlanta, load things on the 18 wheelers and then, and haul them down to distribution facilities in middle Georgia because they can't land their planes in middle Georgia because middle Georgia won't add 500 feet. When I was on city council in Macon, Georgia, I was in charge of the property committee for the city. And we knew if we added 500 more feet, we could increase commercial cargo capacity at the middle Georgia regional airport. But you had members of our city council who refused. And do you know why they refused to do that? What would have been an economic boon, something they still haven't done. They refused to do it because at the time the president or or the, the, the vice chair of the uh, city council said that most of the people who worked at the airport didn't even live in the county. So why were they going to pour more money into an airport when most of the people who worked there didn't even live in the county, which was absurd. But you know what? They never did anything with it. And Houston County, south of Bibb County, continues to grow economically. Monroe County, north of Bibb County, continues to grow economically. Bibb County can never stop tripping over its feet. Historic grievances continue to embitter the community against each other. No one in the county has a path forward to grow. You got a bunch of of white rich hipsters who live downtown who are chartering their own course forward, uh, dragging the rest of the community along, building lofts. I've never seen so many lofts in my life. I can't believe they have that many people willing to build lofts, but that, that seems to be the plan in cities these days. Let's just build lofts for childless retirees and young people. But hey, the county could do a mask mandate and move a Confederate monument. They just can't actually grow the economy in in Bibb County because if you want to try to grow the economy, (gasps) white people might benefit. And so you got to give something to the black community or black people might benefit. So you got to give something to the white community. I've never seen a, a county as divided as it is. And yet I live here. I'm like 200 feet from the Monroe County line. And man, if they would just move the line. 
one day I'll get out. But you know what? Bibb County, economically stagnant, the people of the county, perpetually engaged in a, in a, a fratricide and race war against each other, they get the government they deserve. So too should Chicago. So too should Portland. So too should New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and the like. They get the government they deserve. That's why I, I am opposed to federal bailouts for states like like uh, New York and Illinois and, and California. They've been voting for these socialist policies, driving the tax base away from those states. Let them go bankrupt. Let them have to deal with the consequences. No federal bailouts. That's why I, I think the, um, the the state and local, um, what is it, the, 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 the deduction for local property taxes and local income taxes and state income taxes, I, I think that that's ridiculous. Uh, there is no reason that we need to uh, allow people to deduct their state and local taxes from the federal uh, from from the the federal government's income tax. Let them deal with the consequences of their taxes. The federal government has made it very easy for local citizens of various states to avoid having to deal with the consequences of their incompetent and corrupt governments. And if there's one precedent that Donald Trump should establish, it is to make them have to deal with it, make them confront the realities of overtaxation and corruption in their own states. It's just a mess. And if the president needs to send troops to Portland to protect the federal courthouse because the Portland won't, well, okay, I get that. But don't lift a finger to do anything else. Let the people of Portland have to put up with it. Don't send people to, to Chicago to help local law enforcement deal with violence there. Nope, that's on that city. They don't want to take responsibility for it, and you just provide them a boogeyman and an escape hatch to blame someone else. If these cities want to burn, let them burn, and maybe the people who survived the burning and the wreckage and the carnage will be able to rebuild these cities into something better. But right now, the federal government just keeps giving these places escape valves and someone else to blame so they never have to take responsibility for their own problems. And I'm actually, as an American taxpayer, tired of wasting my federal tax dollars on places that really do want to just seem to commit uh, community suicide. Let them. And then rebuild afterwards. But people at some point need to face the consequences of their actions. That is why there are so many socialist uh, 20-somethings running around this country right now. They have never had to deal with socialism, and so they think it's the, the grass is greener on that side of the economic side of the economic yard. No, it's not, but they're not going to go to Venezuela and hang out, and they're not going to go to Portland, Oregon and hang out. Let them, let them suffer in those places. And if it's cold, sounds cold-hearted, I'm sorry, it's cold-hearted. But these people keep voting for those policies. Let them actually have to live under those policies and see how much they really like it. I'm here. I, I, I meant to play this Tom Cotton audio earlier. I want to play it for you. Listen to, to Cotton. These insurrectionists in the streets of Portland are little different from the insurrectionists who seceded from the Union in 1861 in South Carolina and tried to take over Fort Sumter. I have to disagree with Tom Cotton here. I, I, I get his point, uh, but I disagree because, you know, the, the, the Confederates of the Civil War actually meant to secede from the Union. Uh, these kids are just playing a game. They're not serious. Uh, they, they, are, they are not, uh, whether you like the Confederates or not, uh, they were willing to actually die for their cause. These, these kids aren't. These kids aren't. 
uh, and that seems to be part of the problem here is is we're we've got uh, people on both sides engaged in a level of theatrics and I am tired of the the, the theatrics I, I'm I'm genuinely tired of the theatrics I, I'm tired of of uh, the people who are just essentially engaged in leg humping of, of their favorite side. It, it aggravates me to no end. Uh, like the people who, the social justice warriors who don't want to reopen schools. Never mind what the science says. They don't, you know, in, in California, the teachers union actually said they're not going to, re- they don't want to go back to school until you defund the police. What does defunding the police have to do with anything about teaching your kids? Here's Dr. Fauci on this, by the way. Jake, I have not specifically spoken to the president or to Secretary DeVos about that, but we have discussed this uh, in the presence of the vice president at the coronavirus task force meetings because this is obviously a very important problem. You know, in general, when I think about that, I I, I wanna take a 40,000 foot look and say, as a fundamental principle, I do agree that we should try as best as we possibly can to get the children back to school because of the well-documented, you know, secondary downstream uh, ripple effects that are negative, uh, particularly on parents and on the children when you keep them out of school. So if you at least agree that the general principle is to try as best as you can to get the children back to school, I think you have to put that in the context that an important issue in that is to make sure you do whatever you can to safeguard the safety and the health of the children as well as the teachers. And that should guide your policy. Dr. Fauci wants the science to guide our policies to reopen schools and the social justice warriors want social justice to guide the policies to reopen schools. I I think I'll stick with Fauci on this one, who, by the way, says that there are ways to get schools to reopen. You know, here in Georgia, uh, Gwinnett County, which is uh, one of the fastest growing counties in the state, it's, it's to the northeast of Atlanta. Uh, Gwinnett County is it says it's going to reopen the schools in the fall, but they've imposed so many burdens on how to reopen the schools that they've tripped over their own requirements now, and they can't open schools in the fall. There are ways to do it. There are schools that are doing it. There are whole countries that have dealt with the virus that are starting to let kids go back to school. And I it just it's it's amazing that in this country. People continue to trip over their feet, uh, all largely because of social justice nonsense that none of them actually take seriously. They're just trying to score political points right now. They'd rather score political points than educate your kids. I'm here, y'all. I just, I'm, every time I turn on the internet, it's like Delta is targeting me. I see ads and all I want to do is get on an airplane. I, I would be fine circling the city. I just want to go somewhere. I want to be in a hotel room. I want to get room service. I mean, fly out, fly back. Just just get Sky Miles, be on an airplane, get to diamond status. I'm so close to diamond status. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Okay. Um, I, real quick, uh, you may, you may be surprised to learn this if you watch CNN. And, and I, I, oh, l- let me back up here. Let me explain why I I criticize CNN. I worked at CNN for three years. I know a lot of the people who work there, and a lot of them are really, really good people. And they really care about the news. 
But these days, the management at CNN seems to be so interested in ratings that they have they they want to claim that they are the down the middle of the road fair and balanced network, and yet they give Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo inordinate opportunities to shill for the left and say outrageously dumb things and be aggressive hyperpartisans and not really care about the truth but care about the narrative, and it frustrates me. There, there. I, I listen. I actually think the world of people like Jake Tapper and Will Blitzer. And John King and Glory Borger and Dana Bash, uh, they're, they're friends. I've known them, will gladly defend them. And I don't always agree with them. I, and I don't agree with their takes on stuff sometimes, but I, I know they're fair. I, I know, for example, uh, I am highly plugged into the evangelical community in this country. And I can tell you, uh, I have had this conversation with more than one of them. Uh, that uh, these theologians, if there is a big issue on religion of the day or culture war issues, would rather go on with Anderson Cooper, who is gay, and talk about these issues, oftentimes involving gay marriage and other things, than go on Fox, uh, largely because they think CNN will give them a fair hearing and, and Fox just wants to pat them on the head and get them off the screen and never talk about it again. I can't tell you the number of prominent theologians in this country I've had this conversation with uh, while I was at CNN and while I was at Fox for five years. Uh, they feel like they get a f- fairer hearing from Anderson Cooper, who disagrees with them on the issue, than they do from people at CNN, uh, from Fox News, who agree with them on the issue. You're more likely to hear a- an Orthodox uh, Christian uh, mouth off on CNN than you are on Fox News about faith issues these days, because Fox steers clear of the issue and CNN is willing to engage it. But CNN has problems. Uh, Jim Acosta, I think, is a problem for CNN. Jim Acosta wants to make himself part of the story. And frankly, I know enough people at CNN who grouse behind the scenes about his stunts um, that I I think they got an internal problem there and something's going to have to give at some point. And I just, it infuriates me when so many of the people at CNN are good and they are overshadowed by the people who want clicks. The CNN website is definitely to the left of the newsroom itself and, and overhypes anti-Trump stuff. And the latest, I got I to gotta actually read you, got to read you the tweet, which is from CNN, which is why I bring up CNN. A surprising new study found that the controversial anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine helped COVID-19 patients better survive in hospitals. That was actually from July 3rd when I was heading out on vacation, but there's subsequently been another study now in Panama that shows that when they stopped giving um, early cases hydroxychloroquine, uh, hospital stays went up. And when they changed and started going back to giving people hydroxychloroquine early when the, the virus was first detected, hospital duration went down. And yet all we hear is that the president is going to get people killed because he's recommending hydroxychloroquine. It's really hard to figure out what the truth is when the media is just out to wage a partisan war against the president. We should talk about truth for a minute. Well, China can, China will wait till tomorrow or, 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 or later. But we should talk about truth because, you know, believe it or not, I I actually think that there is truth. And one of my personal pet peeves is when people talk about my truth. You know, you, you don't have the right to your own truth. 
you don't have the right to your own truth. You don't. You have the right to the truth, but not your truth. Because I don't give a rat's behind how you interpret the truth. I care about the truth. Now, I care about the truth because there's a religious aspect to it. My religion is Christianity, which teaches that Jesus Christ uh, is, is God himself and that Jesus Christ is truth. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have a commitment to honor actual truth because you're honoring him. So it doesn't matter what you think your truth is or what I think my truth is. What matters is the truth. And I think there are ways to get to the truth. And we may not ever learn the full truth of stuff, but I think we can at least get facts learned. And facts matter. Facts matter more than the narrative. And right now you see this in progressivism uh, in the media and elsewhere that there is a strong desire to build a narrative and to ignore facts that cut against the narrative. So, for example, take the story I started the show with today. If you weren't here, the New York Philharmonic is under pressure from the New York Times Music Critic and others to get rid of blind screening for musical performances. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you go to the New York Philharmonic and you want to be part of the New York Philharmonic, you sit behind, you're assigned a number and you sit behind a screen and they don't know whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're black or you're white. They just listen to you play the music. And whoever plays the best gets the job. Well, there aren't a lot of black and Hispanic musicians in the New York Philharmonic. And they would have you ignore the fact that this has more to do with early education and early entrance into music and that the problem is there, not the New York Philharmonic, to say that the New York Philharmonic now needs to get rid of blind screenings to be able to boost the numbers of minorities on stage to reflect the society around them. The facts don't actually matter. The narrative matters. And the narrative is that the New York Philharmonic is discriminating, and they're discriminating by being a true meritocracy. See, they don't really want a real meritocracy. It's the facts. The facts get in the way. And when the facts get in the way, the truth gets in the way. And when the truth gets in the way, you have your truth instead of the truth. Who cares what the truth is when you can have your truth? And your truth can be a lie, but it allows you to sleep well at night. The fact is, the truth is, the President of the United States has sent Federal Department of Homeland Security officials to Portland, Oregon to defend a federal courthouse where rioters are trying to burn it to the ground so that people cannot have access to that federal courthouse to get justice done. But Whoopi Goldberg's truth on The View is that the President is attacking American cities, invading American cities. John Heileman on, on MSNBC, his truth is that this is just a trial run for the for the election. The president's going to have troops in the streets when he loses to to allow him to stay. The, the number of people on the left I know who have convinced themselves that if Donald Trump loses, he will not leave the White House is staggering in my mind. I know people, I would consider sane, incredible people who have intuitively digested, inwardly digested, and now outwardly believe that Donald Trump will not leave the White House if he loses. By the way, if the election were held today, Donald Trump's going to lose. I, I, and I don't want to, there, there are people on the right who, who have inwardly digested and outwardly believe that the polls are all wrong, the polls are lying, uh, everything is skewed, and, and pay no attention to what you're even seeing on the ground. 
Uh, but if the election were held today, Donald Trump would lose. That doesn't mean the election's held today, and it doesn't mean he's going to lose. It means if it happened today, he would lose. He's nine percentage points down in the polling average. You don't come back from that if the election were held today, but he's got time. But, of course, people people on the right have things that they want to believe as well. Increasingly, one of the things that both sides want to believe is that the other side is evil. The other side is bad. The other side wants to destroy America. There are certainly people who want to destroy America, uh, but but uh, particularly people on the right right now, just as the left has have institutionalized and mentally uh, consumed the idea that Donald Trump is doing a trial run for a coup on our constitutional system so he never has to leave when he loses. On the right right now, you have people who have, have, have digested the idea and now outwardly believe that the left is is out to destroy America. Yeah, they're going to round us all up, send us to re-education camps. There are a bunch of communists. There are communists. There are people who want to destroy America, but it's not the majority. It's just you view the best way to move America forward differently from them, but you know no one who actually believes that anymore and have intuited that they're actually evil and bad and want to destroy the country. I actually care about the truth. And increasingly, I feel like I'm on a lonely island where, you know, the truth actually matters. And sometimes it works against me. Sometimes it works against you. Sometimes I have to say, okay, this is true, but I believe that this policy is still better. And it's possible to do that. But we no longer are a nation of people who want to think for ourselves. We want to have the the brain biblical donkeys of television uh, of our preferred channel tell us what to believe instead of actually finding out. And by the way, the media is complicit in this because so much of the media now doesn't actually want to tell you the truth. They don't actually want to tell you what the facts are. They just want to tell you what to believe. The media does this. The, the reporters on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and the like, that's what they want to do. They want to tell you what to believe. I actually respect reporters, and there are good reporters at all these institutions who actually just want to tell you, here are the facts of what's happening and not take a political editorial position on it. But it is harder and harder to find that. We are rapidly reverting back to the day where we had partisan media. You know, you've got like the Arizona Republicans newspaper. It was the Republican newspaper. Uh, you've got the, what is it? Um, one of the, the, the papers in, in Ohio is the Democrat. It's because it was the Democratic newspaper. You had partisan news operations in the 1800s, and we're rapidly reverting back to that. As local media dies off, you're having these partisan institutions stand up that are pretending to be local media. We've got one here in Georgia. I think it's called the Georgia Reporter. It is a partisan George Soros-funded left-wing organization that purports to tell you the news but is actually trying to tell you a narrative. And increasingly in our school systems, the 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 education is so bad, people don't figure out how to tell the actual truth from the narrative. How to tell facts from fiction. We're all having to stand up and be our own reporters. And who's got time for that? Who's got time to actually call and and figure out the who, what, where, when, why, and how? And that's all I want from the media these days. Just tell me who, what, where, when, why, and how, and let me interpret it myself. And that's what I'm just trying to do here as well. I'll tell you what I think, but tell you what the facts are first before I tell you what I think. Uh, And and no one wants to do that anymore. And it's driving me up the wall. Take TikTok, for example. Take TikTok. Some of you, your kids have TikTok. TikTok is an app that allows your kids to make short videos uh, that that go viral and and give people laughs. And TikTok is an agent of the communist Chinese state, and that is a fact. And yet you actually had a a supposed uh, reporter who's concerned about privacy at the New York Times, right? It would be bad if they shut down my TikTok because I get so much pleasure from TikTok. 
Never mind that TikTok is an agent of the communist state building a database of information based on you and your children and what it picks up through surveillance of you over your cell phone. And this is all known. We have this knowledge. And yet people who like TikTok don't want to believe the truth because they like the app. Or look at the NBA. The NBA, Mark Cuban, is out there talking about Black Lives Matter, going after Ted Cruz. Mark Cuban is too cowardly to speak up about what's happening in Hong Kong or to the Uyghurs. He won't actually acknowledge the truth or engage in the truth because he has a financial stake in ignoring the truth. The facts matter. And the facts should always matter more than the money. The truth should matter more than the profit. And yet, with the NBA, the profit matters more than the truth. The profit matters more than humanitarianism. The Chinese are running concentration camps. Videos have now come out of uh, Muslim Uyghurs, a a non-ethnically uh, Chinese population in Western China, being rounded up and blindfolded and marched into trains and disappeared. And if you point that out, if you hold up a sign free the Uyghurs at, a, at an NBA game, they will take your sign away from you. If you say free Hong Kong, you can't even get that jersey printed on the NBA website. Well, you can now because there's a protest. But the billionaire owners who want to lecture Donald Trump and you about Black Lives Mattering and social justice won't say a word about that. So oh, it's just politics. No, the truth actually matters. There's actually real truth. And we need to be committed to the truth, not to our side. Tribalism should not transcend truth. Truth should transcend tribalism. And things are mixed up in the world right now. And the media is complicit in it, will not acknowledge it, and does not care. And that is a problem. And it's one we as conservatives have to continue to push back against because, you know, here, here's the thing. On the left right now, they're standing up all these small news sites that, that masquerade as objective news and they're really not. And you know what happens on the right? I, I've been in, I've been inside the conservative movement for a long time. I, I, I helped get Red State off the ground, uh, the resurgent off the ground. I've gotten this radio show off the ground. I, I've helped other conservative groups. And you know what you always find with conservative donors? Conservative donors want to profit. They want to, they want to return on investment. On the left, the major donors are doing what they're doing because they care about about the ideological fight and on the right they actually want a rate of return on investment of financial gain for building the paper that's not going to make any money on the left they just want to advance the narrative they want to advance the cause you still got too many people on the right who aren't willing to actually invest and those who are too often get taken advantage of by con men on the right which continues to to undermine the whole situation the amount of grifters in the conservative movement right now makes me sick if I could do one thing, it would be to to go around to conservative donors and vet the causes for them and who's behind them. Because I, I can tell you, the moment I find out certain people are involved, I'm like, oh, this is just a scam to rip you off and do nothing. The truth of that actually matters as well. And too many people are getting played on the right. John Ossoff running against David Perdue has a poll out that shows him deadlocked with David Perdue and room to grow for his campaign. More room than David Perdue has. This is actually terrible news. He's on MSNBC highlighting this poll. This is actually really bad news for Ossoff. That it's the summer and he's deadlocked with Johnny Isaacson. He's not He's not ahead of Isaacson. They're, they're, they're deadlocked. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, if you're a regular listener of this program, you know 
that in 2006, 2010, 2006, 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016, and 2018, uh, every summer at this time, the polling favors the Democrats. Uh, Stacey Abrams was ahead of Brian Kemp at this time. Uh, Jason Carter was ahead of Nathan Deal. Michelle Nunn was ahead of David Perdue. Um, yeah, all the time, go, go all the way back. You've had Barack Obama ahead of Mitt Romney at one point uh, in 2012, and it never actually works out that way. That that John Ossoff in the summer of 2020 is claiming to be deadlocked with uh, David Perdue, and during the summer, the polling always favors the Democrats in Georgia for a variety of reasons. That's actually bad news for John Ossoff. That means he can't win. That, that's that's this is this is this is actually bad news for Ossoff, and the fact that he doesn't even realize it's bad news actually is even more notable. I mean, it, it, one of the reasons that the polling in the summer favors Democrats is because a lot of people around the state uh, during the summertime, whether if you're in South Georgia, you're in the ag community, you're, you're busy, you're not answering phone, you're on vacation, uh, your family's away, uh, you're, you're not really engaged in politics. And this is when polling is the best for Democrats. You go look. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go look in the summer of 2018, Abrams was ahead of Kemp in the polling. In the summer of 2014, Michelle Nunn was ahead of um, Michelle Nunn was ahead of David Perdue. Jason Carter was ahead of Nathan Deal. In the summer of 2016, Hillary Clinton was slightly ahead of Donald Trump. And now suddenly, uh, John Ossoff wants to believe he is, in his words, deadlocked with David Perdue. This is the best the polling will be for him, and he's deadlocked. He's not going to win in November if that's the case. Now, I realize he's going on MSNBC, and he's doing this because he cares about his fundraising. He cares about his money. He doesn't actually care about the race. Ossoff is great at raising money from national Democrats to try to win, but it's going to be really freaking hard for him to beat David Perdue if he's only tied in the polls in the summer when the polls are the most favorable for the Democrats, when even Stacey Abrams and Michelle Nunn were ahead of the, the Republicans at this time during the summer. That's just the reality of it. Uh, now, I realize that nationally, people don't know this. I, I realize that nationally, uh, the Democrats are convinced that Georgia's in play. It's it's actually not really. Uh, and yet he's going to use this as a fundraising opportunity. This is actually good news for David Perdue. Good news for Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins as well. Leffler has a new ad out against Collins that I don't think it's – she, she's got to do something with her campaign. Uh, Collins right now looks like he's going to win that race too.